Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 116 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, when you get a chance, please check us out at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are shopping for a new car or truck. You also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun stuff. And, and this is important, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. Okay, let's see who's online with us today. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide, and he is the only person to ever earn a skateboard selling Grit Magazine. Welcome, Damon Bell. <laughs> Grit Magazine. That is something that I have not heard tell of in 30 years at least. Did you ever sell it? No, I didn't sell it, but I used to read comic books when I was young, and in the back pages of every comic book was the enticing advertisement letting me know what I could win or earn selling Grit Magazine, which, by the way, was never money. I could never earn money selling Grit. (laughs) Did you ever see an issue of Grit? I was hoping you would ask me that because today, for the first time ever, I looked for a copy of Grit, and it is a magazine, and it still exists. It does. Oh, I got to look that up. It, yeah, it's, it's, worth, just, it's a magazine for kids, right? No, 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 it's not. It's for adults. It's listed as a rural lifestyle magazine. It's published out of Topeka, Kansas. Oh, Grit I can't, magazine. do they still advertise in comic books? They must not. How, how is that still alive? And is it still sold the same way where you have the spiff program where you can get a, a skateboard or what a radio control car or something when you sell 5,000 copies (laughs) it couldn't have been a good ratio no that had to be hard again I don't know anyone who ever sold it but it seemed like the skateboard was unobtainable was that like top of the prize spiff prize ladder yeah it was it it was always front and center in the ad the skateboard Okay. okay I wonder if anyone ever achieved that level. I don't know. I thought you did. That that was. Uh... <laughs> I, I did not. Oh. The only the only spiff selling I ever did was I remember in high school we had to fundraise for our prom or something like that. So we sold magazine subscriptions, and my spiff for that was uh, cassette tapes. I think you could maybe choose. I don't think you could even choose CDs. I think it was just cassette tapes. And I remember when I finally got my two cassette tapes for selling the bare minimum <laughs> number of subscriptions, they were like the, you know, the fake kind of record club versions and not the true original recordings. So oh. it was disappointing all around. You, you got Anne Marie's greatest hits and the best of Anne Marie. No, I got Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever, I think. Pretty oh, that's solid right. album. That's a great album. Yeah. And then I got... Uh, David Bowie's Tin Machine, the first also Tin good. Machine album, which I, I don't think that album gets enough credit, but we are getting way off track here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steer it back because we got a lot to get to. We got a lot to get to today. Here's uh, a rule. Here's a rule. But, if we ever mention Anne Marie, we're off track. We're off track because I could go down an Anne Marie. If you want to, I could go down a full Anne Marie rabbit no. hole because my no. mom was a fan. Yeah, I do have I do have to mention that there's no gel this week. Her doctor's oh. note says that she has come down with a mild case of Donovan's Reef syndrome. Mild case, no big deal. <laughs> I Today don't think that's the, I don't think that's correct, Tom. Today is I also Joe's second birthday. <laughs> she's gonna be upset that uh, she was not here to defend herself. 52nd birthday, happy birthday, Jill. This is yeah. also the first anniversary of Stellantis. Oh, really? Yeah, one year. Wow. How the time flies. One year since the merger of Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot. Uh, 14 brands, now the fourth, fourth largest automaker on the planet. 14 brands, Damon. Wow. 
<laughs> I can't believe I've been going to that uh, new media website for that long already. Do you know who has a lot of Stellantis stock? Who's that? Anne Murray. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I just I just have that song. You needed me coming to my head. So I'm sorry. That's, that's all I got. Right. There's, uh, we had this discussion before. There's nothing. You are a little too against adult contemporary easy listening stuff. <laughs> it's not all bad. It's well I think produced. By definition, it is. Well, you have a predilection for dentist jazz a little bit too, so you're standing on kind of shaky ground, I'd say. <laughs> hey, remember five minutes ago when I said we got it? We had to get things back on track. Let's do dentist jazz. <laughs> you haven't heard that term before. I have not. Oh well, you if know exactly. You know exactly what it means, though. With the, I with do. The first time you've heard it, you already know what it means. <laughs> do you have a defense? No. Okay. <laughs> then let's move on. On the show today, we've got Paul Strauss. He is the publisher of a great little collection of websites, uh, 95 Octane, The Awesomer, and uh, Technobob. Uh, Paul's been on the show a couple times, a couple, three times before. We're going to yeah. have him back today to talk about kind of a grab bag of electric vehicle, electric pickup news, of which there's been quite a bit lately, and whatever else is on Paul Strauss's mind. And then, but before we get that, it, it, get to that in this first segment, again on the EV news front, uh, and I should say that this is not uh, breaking news. It's actually something that's been happening over the past year or two, actually. It's and evolving news. It's evolving news, exactly. And I think a lot of people know by now that GM's Cadillac luxury brand has kind of put a flag in the ground and said, hey, we are transitioning to be uh, an all EV brand by the end of this decade, which is a fairly ambitious statement to make, maybe not so much for a luxury brand, but especially for a luxury brand that's uh, has been as traditional as Cadillac has yeah. been. Yeah. Um, and that's it's easy to kind of think about that in abstract terms, but we're seeing real on the ground transition to this and it brings the, so one of the the stories that have come out recently is about how Cadillac is paring down its dealer network and essentially buying out or allowing dealership franchises to close uh, those dealerships who aren't really willing to make that investment to transition to selling pure EV vehicles and I think like a lot of people when I when I hear that for the first time, it sounds like bad news, but right. it's, it's, it's not really bad news, correct? Right, yeah, and, and if you hear that like a retail chain, and I'm just making this up, Walgreens is closing locations, you think economic bad news for the company, right? Exactly. They're, 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 they're reeling, they're recoiling, they're, they're retreating, and, and they're going to start over from, from a smaller group, base group. That's not what happens here. It's not what's happening here with Cadillac. Actually, the story is interesting. And, and, and to make this make sense to people, I think we have to explain how the dealer count situation works. And I want to use an example of Lexus. Lexus has 243 stores nationwide. That's all they have, through which they sell more than 1,100 cars each annually. Yeah. Cadillac, which sells fewer cars, has more than three times as many dealers. Cadillac has 875 dealers before any of these buyouts we're talking about, and they only sell about 147 cars per store, which means that each store sells less than one car every two days. That, as it turns out, is not really the kind of volume a manufacturer, especially a luxury manufacturer, is looking for. Because you want a dealer that is profitable, does a lot of, of, of volume, so that they can have adequate, um, adequate inventory of vehicles, a really large surface center, well-trained staff, and they can spend money on their facilities. This is a big deal to Cadillac. So fewer stores means larger, higher volume stores. And that's what Cadillac wants. Now, Cadillac... Uh, is is a legacy brand that has dealers that go back 80 years. Right, right. <laughs> Some of these dealers are dueled with other dealers. They're very rural, don't do a lot of business. They're attached to pickup brands someplace very remote. 
and they're not full Cadillac stores, and that's not the image that Cadillac wants to project, especially as they move into the electric age. And what's interesting, too, is there are dealers in rural areas saying, we don't want to invest in going electric. Cadillac is asking dealers now to come up with about $200,000 to upgrade their facilities for the electric car revolution. And a lot of the dealers are saying, it's a lot of money, uh, and we don't do that kind of volume. Yeah, facility upgrades, obviously you're going to need chargers, like some different uh, service tools. Actually, you can probably get rid of a fair number of service tools, given the fact that, yeah, you're not going to need to stock as many oil filters and things like that. Um, but in addition to the, the facilities upgrades, something that is every bit important that takes some uh, investment as well, and that's training your staff, your right. service technicians and maybe most importantly of all, your salespeople to be educated to sell EVs. Yeah, and when the Cadillac Lyric goes on sale later this year, uh, and what is the, the Hilux, Hilux sedan coming, the Celestique? Yes. Um, you're going to want to have dedicated staff that really knows that product, and that's not something you can do at a smaller store. Uh, funny thing, too, about this is I was looking at these other numbers. Mercedes-Benz, and I just want to mention this for a reason that I think you'll appreciate, Mercedes-Benz has about 383 dealerships, and they do about 851 cars per, per, per store. So they're doing pretty good volume. But you know that some of those Mercedes points still date back to, to when Packard was selling Mercedes back in the 60s, <laughs> 50s and 60s. Yeah. So that, that's some serious legacy stuff. For sure. And, and, yeah, along the lines of that legacy, those legacy dealerships, it does make me a little sad that, that there will be, there are, there already have been, and most certainly will be more Cadillac dealers in smaller, more rural areas just going away. But from Cadillac's standpoint, yeah, like especially when you compare them, as you just mentioned earlier, to Lexus's dealer network, probably a much better situation to have fewer, larger, higher volume dealers that better represent the brand as a whole. Um, but as far as Cadillac is concerned, this transition to, to EVs is sort of a, a double good thing for them because I don't excuse is the wrong word, but it is basically giving them a reason to be able to pair some of the smaller dealerships, uh, lower volume dealerships that aren't really working for the brand as a whole as they were in the past. Uh, but along with these articles, the other thing that I saw mentioned is, and, and I was surprised to know this, fairly recently Cadillac reopened a new dealership in Beverly Hills, California. I would have thought that they had never left, but they, uh, they're focused on opening new stores in key markets, and obviously Beverly Hills is about a the most upscale urban market you can be in. And I think like a Manhattan dealership is, is uh, in the works as well. So it's, yeah, paring down dealerships in places where it's not as important for them to be, or frankly, not as profitable for them to be, but having that presence in the areas where they need to be both from a luxury brand standpoint and as a purveyor of electric vehicles. Yeah, good point, because one of the things that came out in a recent Automotive News article, and God bless Automotive News, uh, was, was the fact that a lot of these, these dealers that are taking buyouts from Cadillac, um, not all of those points are going away. And in fact, they're being buy, purchased by larger uh, dealership chains or dealership groups and being moved to new locations, to, to likely better locations, especially in, in light of the fact that Cadillac is becoming an electric brand. But it is interesting, too, that Cadillac sells right now the Escalade and then a lot of vehicles that no one remembers the name of. <laughs> and and a lot of, this electric thing is interesting because it's allowing the brand to reinvent itself. It's going away from alphanumerics to names, Celestique and, and, and Lyric. Um, and, and I think that the electric revolution is allowing them to reinvent themselves in a very interesting way because dealers who have the money and are in the right markets are very interested right now in getting Cadillac. So the brand itself, which has been kind of stagnant for a lot of years, despite some interesting design up, um, design exercises, I think is, is, is going to be a very big deal very soon. Mm -hmm. 
do you think the uh, we've we've yeah we know the uh, the lyric and the celestique. So now are we gonna in a moving away from the the alphabetical names outside of the Escalade? Are we gonna have a bunch of Cadillacs ending in the letter Q? We are right. Isn't that the plan? <laughs> are you ready for that? No. <laughs> No, it's god awful. It should be Q U E, but we're not going to get that. Uh, I, lyric's a fine name. Also, we should talk about that. The lyric is a a midsize. There's a compact or midsize crossover, but it's very I, attractive. Yeah, I would say kind of uh, super large, compact, small, smaller sized uh, midsize crossover SUV. Again, right in the heart of the market. Via, whether you're talking about a luxury brand or a mainstream brand, and yeah, it's a it's a good looking vehicle for sure. I'm anxious to see one in person and drive it. Yeah, that's interesting. And then the Celestique is going to be an ultra luxury sedan, uh, presumably along the lines of the Lucid Air, and I think it's going to be priced similarly too, which means comfortably over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, really? Because uh, the Lyric uh, is. Affordable. It's going to be more accessible, yeah, yeah. Did I, I see that? Go ahead. I thought the Lyric was going to start at sixty thousand dollars. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Which, especially these days, does not sound a whole lot of, like a whole lot of money for a luxury crossover. Exactly. Speaking of speaking of figures, just uh, uh, something else I noticed in an automotive news article. It's just to throw out these numbers is is interesting to me. So. Yes, Cadillac was asking its dealers to make an investment of around $200,000 to yeah. gear up for the transition, the, the forthcoming transition to EVs. Uh, the flip side of that is Automotive News published a range of uh, buyout offers that dealers who were accepting Cadillac's buyout to close their dealerships was and that was between 300k and 500k to take the buyout to wrap up business with the dealership or and close their dealership so, yeah, so spend 200,000 exactly 500 <laughs> yeah up to 500 of, yeah no but that'll help you feel better uh, if you're giving up a dealership that's been in your family for 50 years Right, right. Uh, the other part of this that we didn't really talk about beforehand, but is, is interesting too, is, is in reading the articles I did about this, you get the sense too that the dealers that are leaving aren't really on board with the electric thing anyway. Right. And they may not be the people you want to carry your brand flag forward. <laughs> exactly. So in a lot of ways, this situation is kind of a win-win for all involved, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we should take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Paul Strauss of 95 Octane and Awesomer Media. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I'm darn glad you stuck around today. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today is the publisher of not one but three great websites. They include The Awesomer, Technobob, and 95 Octane. He is Paul Strauss, and he's here to talk electric pickup trucks with us today. Hey, Paul. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey Paul, real quick. Beautiful seven degree day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the cold here in Chicago snuck back up on me. It was I left the office yesterday. And I'm like, oh, it's cold again. I didn't realize it was cold again. But but Paul, tell us a little yeah, bit about the awesomer. So the awesomer is uh, a thousand miles wide and inch deep. Uh, we cover. <laughs> Cool cars, cool gadgets, movies, entertainment, video games, just stuff that I like and hopefully that you guys like. And then you have Technobob and 95 Octane. Obviously, 95 Octane is the car site. What happens at Technobob? Well, so Technobob is uh, gadgets, geek culture, uh, strange and unusual things from around the globe, a lot of uh, uh, art that sort of features uh, uh, nerdy stuff, video game art, um, 
retro technology. It's just stuff stuff for geeks is what we're doing at, at Technobob. It's a fun site. I've been there a couple of times lately, and I, I enjoy all the content you have there. Paul, we brought you on today to talk a little bit about electric pickup trucks. What is going on, and what are we waiting for? So uh, we're waiting for a lot in terms of electric pickup, pickup trucks. It seems like there's a, a great sort of convergence happening, and every brand is trying to bring out their trucks kind of in the same, you know, 2023 to 2025 time period for their first uh, offerings. And uh, and we've got six players on the field right now. Uh, we've got Ford with the F-150 Lightning. We've got Chevy with the Silverado EV. We've got Tesla with the Cybertruck, uh, maybe. Uh, the GMC Hummer EV, the Rivian R1T, and the Bollinger V2 have all been announced in various states and shown in various, uh, uh, you know, uh, points along the spectrum of prototype to production. Uh, I've been inside of the GMC Hummer EV. I know it exists, um, which is a good thing. Uh, I believe that the, the, the F-150 Lightning and the Silverado EV exists. I know people who've driven Rivian R1Ts uh, and the Bollinger V2, at least a prototype was shown where you could actually get inside of it. Uh, I don't know anybody who's been in a Tesla Cybertruck today, uh, but there certainly was a lot of buzz around that when it was first announced. How long has it been since we first saw the Cybertruck? It feels like about two years now. I want to say it was 2018, was it? Wow. It was in that? I believe it was 2019. I think it was, if I recall okay. correctly, it was it was unveiled sort of along the uh, sort of around the same time as the Mustang Mach E. In fact, I think they were even kind of okay. rival events at some level. But yeah, uh, obviously Mach E has has made its way out into the world and is being produced. And uh, I I think the latest news is Tesla has now pressed pushed back the. Uh, targeted production start of the Cybertruck even further, like it's not even going to happen in 2022 now. Right, and they've kind of buried it on their website. I don't even know if you can still find uh, a place to to dig into ordering a Cybertruck or, or getting on the list. Yeah. So it, it, it smells very vaporware-ish to me at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, just, it's kind of disappointing because as, as much as it's been mocked, it's it's such an unusual thing. I would love to see them, you know, what they actually look like driving on the road. But uh, but by the same token, I think a lot would have to change from the original, you know, the prototypes that were shown to an actual production vehicle for safety reasons. Everybody's talked about the, the lack of mirrors on the original and how they had to add giant truck mirrors to the side, things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I just like the creativity of it, despite it being kind of ugly it's ugly, <laughs> beautiful to me in a way it's certainly one of the most extreme vehicle designs definitely in recent memory and at some level maybe ever it's just so radical tesla did make an awful lot yeah, of I mean, technical claims i like it. it oh go ahead paul oh no i was just saying i think i mean that's a big part of why i love hate the Cybertruck. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's like a vision from your childhood. It's this primitive, like, toy truck. It's got Blade Runner vibes. It's, you know, it's got all those cool things going for it, but you also know it's completely impractical. Exactly. Probably never going to get any volume. And if it does get produced, it'll be some outlandish $250,000 model that, you know, celebrities have. Right. So it's, it's, disappointing on that front because when you look at you know Ford and Chevy and and their intent to actually produce volume of work trucks that actually run on an electric platform that's far more um, compelling I think mm -hmm. I wonder too I remember when when the the Cybertruck was introduced a lot of websites were making fun of the vehicle because of its strange shape and its lack of of, of functionality and utility even though Tesla made some pretty big claims for towing capacity and payload. But I'm wondering if ultimately Tesla has determined that it has reached the point where the fanboy audience wouldn't be enough to sell this vehicle. 
uh, <laughs> that it would have to appeal to actual truck buyers to do some serious volume. And the combination of Tesla hubris and weird shape and weird design combined with actual utility is making this an unpleasant vehicle to look at, build, or, or afford, affordably build. Yeah, and I think that Tesla has so much energy dedicated to you know, the, the Model S and the Model 3 and the Model Y because those are what they're actually selling some volume of. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to, to come out with some sort of experimental vehicle that they can sell, really sell a thousand of a year. Uh, it, it just seems like it's kind of off the mark for them. But, it's, you know, I, I feel like Tesla's approach is they build these concept vehicles and then they promise they're going to prove production whereas other brands just build concept vehicles and say they're concept vehicles. <laughs> that's an excellent point. And along those lines, too, and we should probably move on from Tesla, but we haven't seen anything about the Tesla over-the-road semi-tractor truck, too, either, have we? No, and the, and the Roadster seems to have evaporated as well. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about the Roadster because no one's talking about it right there now. Is. There is one floating somewhere above the planet, right? Yeah, it's in space. Yeah. <laughs> what did that cost? We should move on, though. Uh, tell us a little bit about Bollinger, because this is a company that, that does a lot with social media, and I think a lot of people have seen this, and the trucks are sort of compelling looking, especially if you like stamp flat uh, sheet metal. But, but they may have announced some pretty bad news recently. Yeah, so Bollinger showed the B1 and the B2, a while back, and they were both super boxy, uh, harkening back to, you know, early 1970s uh, off-road vehicle construction, uh, like international and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I kind of love that look, even though it's yeah. not necessarily the most aerodynamic. Um, and they had some really cool ideas in terms of these super sort of pragmatic, rugged vehicles. Uh, you know, they announced not the most exciting drive range for them, but, you know, a good amount of power, like 600 horsepower and almost 700 foot-pounds of torque. But uh, they just recently, in the last week, announced that they are, uh, at least for now, shelving production and not going into production on the B1 and B2. So I assume that they're having some financial struggles, uh, you know, combined with all of the, the difficulties of, you know, supply chain and everything else that's going on in the world right now. But uh, I think Bollinger is, I don't know if they're down for the count, but they're out of the game for the moment. And remind me, the B1 and the B2 were a crossover and a small pickup truck. Is that correct? Well, so I wouldn't call them small. Um, you know, they, they were, the, the B1 is an SUV and the B2 is a truck. And the form factor is not dissimilar from a Jeep Gladiator. Yeah, they're like, you know, they're they're pretty big vehicles, though. So the news out of Bollinger now seems to be they're going to try to address the chassis cab market. We'll see if that does anything for them. But to my, to the leader as I can tell, they have never sold product one either commercial or retail. Correct. That's my understanding. Yeah. What else we got going on, Paul? So. Uh, so there's the Rivian R1T, which arguably is the best looking, yeah. in my opinion, of the electric trucks. And they've actually produced some vehicles. Uh, and they have some pretty neat whiz-bang features like that storage compartment behind the cab. And, uh, you know, they're, they're promising some pretty good numbers. You know, their, their top-end configuration is 750 horsepower uh, and... Uh, Theoretically, a 400-mile range. I know, Tom, you were mentioning to me before the call that they're uh, struggling with supply chain issues and, and not going to be able to produce the long-range version, uh, at least initially. Um, so that that may affect them in terms of their marketability. But, you know, they, they've performed in, you know, off-road rallies with, their, with an R1T for the Rebel Rally. Uh, so that's pretty neat that... Uh, that this is an actual vehicle that, that people can actually drive now. So does this feel like the, the second sort of electric startup with really, really good vibe going on? 
Like we've got we've got Tesla that is a functioning company, and it feels like Rivian might be right there. They've got strong orders. They have a product. It's a well-reviewed product, and and they've got an SUV on the way right after the pickup. Correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that Tesla, Rivian, and and Lucid are kind of the ones that have the greatest chance of being the the dedicated EV brands. Um, although Lucid is is quite expensive in its initial vehicles. I think, you know, a lot of excitement around that brand as well. Not a truck, but uh, but in terms of, of pure electric vehicles. But yeah. uh, but then you look at, at the, the, the big auto, uh, you know, Detroit automakers and, and Ford and, and GM and Chevy and, um, you know, they're clearly making a grab for the uh, battery electric space as well. And, uh, and I think that's the, the most exciting part of this is that we're on the precipice of a time when electric vehicles aren't just sort of a boutique thing, right? That we're, right. we're moving in a direction where, you know, production, you know, daily driver vehicles can be pure electric and as good or better than internal combustion vehicles. Uh, I think the real question is gonna be, do, do trucks, which, Theoretically, and I'm not saying in, in actuality for everybody, but theoretically trucks are designed to haul things, right? Right. And so when you get into towing and when you get into carrying heavy payloads, is that extra strain on the battery going to kill range? Is it going to uh, kill the life of the battery pack? Those, these are things that I don't think we really know yet. But on the plus side, I think... You know, and, and at least in a place like Chicago, most people buying trucks aren't hauling things, right? They're buying trucks because they want a truck. And so, um, you know, you'll get an experience similar to the Mach-EV, right? <laughs> the Mach-E with, I call it the Mach-EV for some reason. Where <laughs> um, you get a decent range and you get, uh, you know, good uh, performance and good torque. And so, you know, you've got the Lightning coming from Ford, the F-150 Lightning, and you've got the Silverado EV, both of which have some very impressive power and torque numbers, uh, you know, and both with, with reasonable ranges of the Lightning coming in around 300 miles and the Silverado EV claiming 400 miles of range at its target. Um, those are pretty good numbers as, as EVs go, especially when you get into a bigger vehicle. Yeah, I wanted to circle back and make a quick point about Bollinger. I think with them kind of tapping out at this moment, I'd say that that means their window to enter this market, the the consumer EV pickup and SUV market, I think is pretty much closed because the sort of opening for a startup to get in before the big automakers uh can fully enter it i think that's almost past even as of now um so i would kind of count bollinger out of it at this point but in in kind of gearing up for this conversation i was just considering the f-150 lightning the silverado ev and the cyber truck uh side by side and <laughs> to to line those pickups up next to each other shows from the Ford to the Chevy to the Tesla, an increasingly radical, outlandish uh, <laughs> activity. And if if you guys were betting men, what I'll tell you what my opinion is. I think Ford's strategy might be the best, and in in paradoxically the strongest statement because the Lightning is so much like a normal garden variety F-150 in overall looks, whereas the Silverado and especially the Cybertruck are kind of more outer space things. Silverado is certainly more practical, but definitely veers pretty wildly away from normal pickup proportions. So I, I if if manufacturers want EVs to be everyday vehicles, in my thinking, it, it might be good strategy for them to make them look like everyday vehicles. So I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, that, that's why I was a, a big fan of the Bolt EV uh, when it came out, was mm -hmm. because it, it wasn't like a Tesla. It wasn't trying to look like some weird bulbous thing from another planet. And, you know, that, that vehicle had some of its struggles along the way, 
But at the end of the day, it just looked like a neat little hatchback. Um, and, and that's why I like this so much. Uh, you know, so, so Lightning definitely has the greatest chance of appealing broadly. And, and the more outlandish and esoteric and, and future-y you get with the design, the more you start to have to go to the fringe of the market to get buyers. Yeah, interesting point about Ford versus Chevy because the philosophy there is different but the same. They're both going to sell an electric version or an electric variant, perhaps, of, of their conventional gasoline-powered vehicle at the same time. Ford has chosen to make theirs look an awful lot like the conventional gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle, whereas Chevy's making a very clean delineation between its gasoline-powered conventional truck and its electric truck. Also, the Chevy... Uh, to make a point, the Chevy and the coming GMC versions of, of, the, of the pickup trucks of the Sierra and the Silverado are entirely different vehicles mechanically. They're on all new architecture. They use that Altium skateboard. So they aren't the same. They're not variations of the same vehicle. And I wonder if uh, Chevy's philosophy is that they want to drive home the point that this is all new and different and perhaps better. Yeah. But just a thought. I'll also note too that Ford electing to use a, a, a lot of the existing F-150s uh, already made, already paid for parts is one of the reasons that they can produce it presumably uh, more economically than you know starting from scratch with a more you know clean sheet of paper designs. Economically, and to come out with it first, which is a big deal. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Hey, Paul, we've got to take a break. Tell us real quick about uh, Awesomer again, all, all three of your great websites. Sure. Yeah, so the awesomer.com, you can find cool stuff for everybody from cars to gadgets to movies to games. Technobob is geek culture and nerdy stuff, and 95 Octane is where you can find cars that don't suck. <laughs> Sounds good. Paul, you've, you have volunteered to stick around for the quiz, is that correct? That is correct. Awesome. Awesome, awesomer. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I'm grateful you decided to stick around with us today. Paul Strauss of Awesomer Media is sticking around for the quiz. Hey, Paul, how can people follow you on social media? Uh, the easiest ways are on Twitter, at The Awesomer, and then on Instagram, at Awesomer Media. Those are our best spots to see cool new things. Sounds good. Hey, Damon, your tweets have been banned in the Cook Islands. What's that all about? Uh, grit magazine is illegal there. <laughs> you can't sell grit in the Cook Islands. That's that's the only reason. And I refuse to back down from that. So I, you know, no no big loss to me. Where are the I Cook Islands? <laughs> somewhere, somewhere. What is it? East, uh, very far east of New Zealand. Oh wow. Exotic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Middle of nowhere. Okay. Did you want to talk your actual uh, talk about your actual Twitter account or Oh, I suppose I should do that, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at David Bell Likes Cars. All right. Though not it if is... you are in the Cook Islands. Right. <laughs> Where you've been banned. Right. All right. It is quiz time, boys and girls. The Car Stuff Podcast Power Quiz today is on auto sales. 2021 auto sales. I hope you guys are ready. Paul, you're our guest. You go first. The first question is, Paul, which of the following was the third best-selling brand in the U.S. for 2021? Third best-selling. Was it Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet, or Honda? I am going to go with Honda. Honda. All right. Damon, this question goes to you. Third best-selling brand of the U.S. for 2021. Toyota, Ford, Chevy, or Honda? I think I got to agree with Paul. Honda is the first, is my first instinct, too. Oh, you guys are both wrong. In order, it was Toyota, 
2 million units, Ford 1.8, Chevy 1.4, and Honda very close, 1.3. Mm. So, so close. Right. So close, so close. Damon, next question goes to you. Damon, which of the following sold better in 2021, the Ford Mustang or the Dodge Challenger? You wouldn't think this would be the case considering how uh, elderly the basic platform is, but I'm going to say Dodge Challenger. Dodge Challenger? All right, Paul, this question goes to you. Mustang or Challenger, which sold better last year? I'm going to say absolutely the Challenger. You guys are both correct. It was kind of close. Challenger about 54,000 units, Mustang about 52. In case you were wondering, the forgotten Camaro came in at 21,000. Mm. All right. Hats off Thanks to, hats off to Chevy. Chevy has forgotten the Camaro. <laughs> yeah. There is, a, there is an end date in sight for the, the Camaro. And man, I got to say, props to Dodge for being able to... Yeah to squeeze sales from that old stone for these many years. It's that's an impressive performance. Someone deserves a marketing award. All right, sure. question three. This question goes to Paul. Paul, which sold better in 2021, the Ford Bronco or the adorable Ford Bronco Sport? Ooh. I'm gonna go with Bronco Sport. All right, Damon, which sold better, Bronco or Bronco Sport? I think I gotta agree with Paul, especially because of the the production issues they were having with the startup of the Bronco. Yes, you guys are both correct, and it wasn't even close. Bronco Sport, almost 110,000 units. Bronco, just 35,000. Wow, 110,000 for the Bronco Sport, wow. Yeah. All right, the score is two to two, we go to question four. What, Paul? I was just saying that was a good number. For sure. It's a, that's a big number, yeah, that's, there's some profit there. All right, Damon, which sold better in 2021, the Ford F-150 or the Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra combined? Did they make any gains as a group? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the F-150 still took care of it. All right, Paul, this question goes to you. Which sold better last year, the F-150 or the Silverado and Sierra combined? I'm just going to always say the same thing as Damon. <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> okay, you guys are both wrong, but it was super close. Oh, really? Super close. About wow. 700, about 770,000 units for the GMs combined and about 726 for the Ford. Mm. All right, wow. no points there. Two to two, we go to the last question, and it's a tie. This is exciting. Oh, my gosh. Nailbiter. Paul, which sold better in 2021, the Volkswagen Taos or Olive Jaguar? Ooh, wow. Um, I'm going to go with the Taos as much right, as I'm a Jaguar. <laughs> Damon, this question goes to you. Which sold better, the Volkswagen Taos or Olive Jaguar? Uh, even though if I answer the same, it's going to end up in a tie. I think I got to say Taos as well. You guys are both correct. The score is three to three, which means the bonus question matters. Mm. Uh, the Taos about 31,000 units, uh, all of Jaguar about 17. Jaguar clearly waiting for that all electric thing they're going to do. <laughs> hmm. All right. The bonus question goes to Damon first. Damon. Damon, according to SugioMart.com, which of the following is not a real Japanese market Pringles variety? Are you ready? Yes. All right. Your choices are spicy ginger squab, Napoli cheese pizza, Hokkaido butter scallops, or fish and chips. One of those is not a real Pringles variety in Japan. Say the, uh, say the first one again. What is squab? Spicy ginger squab. What is squab? A uh, pigeon. It's a very small bird. Oh it's my very gosh! Very small bone, but it's oh, impossible gosh. to bone. <laughs> I learned something new every day. I'm impressed that you knew what that was, Paul. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, could you read through the options again? I wrote them. I'm delighted to read them again. Um, <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
spicy ginger squab, Napoli cheese pizza, Hokkaido butter scallop, or fish and chips. One of those is fake. God, what a what a toss-up. Um, are they into the pizza at all? Are they into fish? What would? I'm I'm waffling between the fish and chips and the pizza. Uh huh. Um. I will I will say the pizza. That's the fake Napoli cheese pizza. Yeah. All right, Paul, this question goes to you. One of these is fake. Spicy ginger squab, Napoli cheese pizza, Hokkaido butter scallop, or fish and chips. Uh, ironically, these are all Kit Kat flavors as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I, I'm gonna, I am going to go with fish and chips. Okay. Guess what, guys? This ends in a tie. The spicy ginger squab is the fake. Oh, the Napoli oh. cheese pizza, the Hokkaido butter scallops, and the fish and chips, all real. Wow. Three and three. Our, our second tie of the year. Yes, with a guest, uh, with a quiz guest, uh, second tie. So, Paul, thanks for sticking around. Hey, Damon. Yes. What is going on right now at the CG Daily Drive? All kinds of butter squab content. <laughs> no. What was it? Spicy ginger. Butter scallops, spicy ginger squab. Spicy yeah. ginger squab. Yeah. Man, how could I get that screwed up? <laughs> you did. I don't. Know. I did. I did. It's, it happens. Um, we've got great stuff on the blog this week, uh, including uh, a look back at I think what we would all agree is one of the best, most memorable uh, automotive ads of the 1980s. Who can forget the Volvo 740 wagon ad? that paired it with a Lamborghini Countach holding, uh, hauling a travel trailer or a U-Haul type trailer. I noticed that it's not an actual U-Haul branded trailer. They must not have wanted to pay the licensing fees. No, but it is an awesome ad. And I wonder if that trailer was loaded, which vehicle would win that drag race? I know which vehicle would be more reliable. Paul, are you familiar with this ad campaign? I have a vague memory of it. I, I'm thinking more of, uh, I think it was a Volvo ad where they had a Volvo on its roof around the same oh, yeah. time. Oh. Yeah, there was, uh, Volvo did ads in series, and there was one series where they were emphasizing the strength and, and structural integrity of the vehicle. And to your point, Paul, yeah, there was one where they stacked cars on top of each other. Uh, which was a great ad campaign. And this one was making the point that their wagons were not only utilitarian, but also a heck of a lot of fun to drive. And this is when they were really pushing their turbos. So in this ad that we're talking about right now, they compare the vehicle to a Lamborghini. They also compare it to a Lotus Esprit and a Porsche 944 in the campaign, all of which sort of crazy, but actually the wagon, uh, the, the 740 turbo wagons were actually pretty quick. Yeah, and, and you make the point in the article, Tom, that yeah, to Paul's recollection yes they had a they were as a brand had long been promoting safety which makes it a little more difficult then to pivot to the pushing the idea that hey we've got high performance uh fun to drive vehicles too and what yeah. a great way to do that by comparing it to one of the sexiest fastest looking cars ever it, it just such a great tongue-in-cheek vibe to that, but it also really drives the point home. So we'll share that article. Uh, what else we got going on? Uh, we had, speaking of the Ford Bronco as we were a, a bit ago, we have our full test drive review of a 2021 Ford Bronco Black Diamond. Uh, very basic utilitarian-looking vehicle with the black steel wheels that, as I pointed out in the the caption to one of the photos on most vehicles those would look hopelessly plain and boring but on a bronco they look tough and perfectly appropriate no i think that truck looks fantastic indeed also and here's a question will we ever drive another four-door truck with a seven-speed manual transmission I would. I think you could put safe money on the answer being no <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy driving that. And and a pretty fine, uh, our co-editor John found the manual transmission a little notchy. I found it to be perfectly appropriate and actually uh, very nice to use. Yeah, 
a very rare experience to drive a manual of any sort these days, uh, and in a truck-like vehicle, it, it is definitely uh, fun. Notching is an interesting word, but I think your point about it's really mechanical is probably more on point. It's not, it's not difficult to roll through the gears. It's actually pleasant. And there's something about that, I don't want to use the word notchy, but that just the detent, it, it, it's more engaging. I really like driving it. Yeah. Yep. It makes you feel like I need to be, I need to have a ranch. I need to be hauling firewood in the back of this or something. I need to I need to go out to fix a fence at the outer edges of my property. <laughs> and then spend the night at the line shack. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, speaking of trucks, we've got a gallery of pickup truck ads, but with an important distinction. They are all Canadian market pickup trucks, and... Like we had kind of talked about in uh, previous shows, the Canadian market vehicles, it's sort of this interesting, uh, close but not quite the same as American vehicles. No, and things got a little weird up there uh, in, in terms of marketing. And I touched on this a little bit in the article. The population in Canada is not as dense, so the distribution of dealerships is a little bit different. And one of the things that we, we saw up in Canada in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and, and actually into the present day, is, is that some dealers would want to add more expensive or cheaper models just so they had a broader lineup because they reached far or fewer people in their geographic area. And so you had things up there like Mercury selling pickup trucks and Plymouth selling pickup trucks through, through the Fargo brand. So these advertisements look familiar, but they're just a little bit weird. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, and so finally, to, to wrap things up, we have another test drive uh, review on the site, and that's of a vehicle that has been very nicely refreshed for 2022, and that's the Hyundai Kona Limited. That's the Hyundai's, actually we can say it's the slightly bigger and more expensive of Hyundai's subcompact SUVs, since now they have the Venue as well. But very nice update for 2022. Uh, Really nice interior updates where it gets uh, some of the digital gauge cluster uh, gear from the new for 22 Hyundai Tucson compact SUV. And to my eyes, a pretty slick uh, styling facelift as well. And the one we had looks especially slick in it, a very bright, eye-catching uh, body color called Teal Isle. Yeah, nice vehicle. Uh, the, the turbocharged drivetrain is not always as sweet and polished as it could be, but that interior is decidedly upscale for the class, and I, I think this vehicle comes across as, as, as a good buy for the money in terms of just general content, look and feel, and, and refinement. Indeed. Well, guess what we did? Oh, out of time again. We're out of time. Hey, Paul, we'd like to thank you for joining us today and for sticking around for the quiz. Thanks for having me again. It was a lot of fun. All right. That was Paul Strauss with Awesomer Media. I'd thank Jill, but she didn't show up this week. Thank you, Damon. <laughs> again, Jill turned 52 today. Thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AMA 20 in Chicago. A special shout out to my friends Steve and Johnny. And if you want to be added to the Car Stuff mailing list, and you absolutely do, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. Hey, let's talk about cars again next week.